Make the usual adjustments. Good to be back with you. Bring you greetings from our little congregation there in Potter Valley. Uh, wonderful to be able to meet someone who's been there. There's only, you know, 800 people or thereabouts that live there, so it's a rarity to uh, come across those that have at least visited. And in the last two days, I've met two of them. So praise the Lord. And uh, we're enjoying ministry there. Uh, the Lord's been kind. We had a great weekend last weekend with our family camp. Um, we missed a birth. But other than that, we covered the bases. We had a death on Friday. We had an unplanned wedding on Saturday. We had baptisms. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Looking forward to the time here. Uh, Micah, as well, sends his greetings. Um, it is a privilege to see him growing in Christ, leading a men's group, and uh, just a joy to know that he's walking with the Lord and the Lord's doing a great work in him. And a uh, special greeting to Tracy's sisters. Two of the three sisters are with us today, and a uh, privilege to be able to have them with us as well. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you're looking for a title, we'll call it the right and responsibility of citizenship or qualification. Decided that we will look at this area of re, uh, responsibilities and rights throughout the week that uh, our Lord gives to us, rising out of Matthew 6 and 7 in particular. But we're going to start right at the end of Matthew 5. And the endeavor today is to remind us that to qualify as a citizen of God's kingdom hinges on what you can't do. It's You must meet a requirement, and it's a requirement that you have total inability to meet. So that's where we're headed today. It's one of the most preponderous statements you could read, is it not? Verse 48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect? How in the world could I be perfect? Most of us would understand, those that have been in the church for a number of years would realize there is no means within us to be perfect. Theologians, those outside of God's control, have played with the words, tried to redefine try to figure out other ways to try and understand what it is that is so plain and right in front of us. You are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your Word. As we open it today, we pray that we honor you, that you be glorified, that we be reminded, that we be challenged that each one would understand clearly the necessity of perfection before a holy God and the only means of that. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. It's interesting, isn't it? How much we can try to skirt what is so apparent and clear. So we try to wiggle around, try to say that perhaps this is referring to maturity, and yet we would put it within its immediate context and understand maturity like your heavenly Father. The clear implication of our text is that you are to be perfect as our heavenly Father 
is perfect. Spurgeon told a story once that kind of brings our minds to the concept of where we're headed. There was an Indian national who was trying to become a a, a national or a citizen of England. So he moved to England. And he went before the officials and said, I've come to be a citizen of England. And they said, sorry, sir, you cannot be a citizen of England, for you were not born here. So he went off and decided that, well, it must be because I don't dress like an Englishman. And so he garbed the Englishman's dress, went back to the officials and said, now I would like to be a citizen, to which they said, sorry, sir. You cannot be a citizen, for you were not born here. Well, the Indian, a little bewildered and a little frustrated, went off and decided that he could learn to talk like an Englishman. And so he did. And came back some months later and presented himself yet again to the officials and said, I would like to be a citizen. To which they said, sorry, sir, you were not born here. Well, more frustrated and Bewildered, he decided that, well, I've come to dress like an Englishman. I've learned to speak like an Englishman. I'm in England. What is it I must do to be a citizen of England? To which the response was, sorry, sir. You must be born a citizen. Now, times have changed, certainly, and we can understand the means by which we can become citizens and so forth. But what we're speaking of is this very fact. You must be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And there is but one means for us to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we drop right into our text and we find ourselves right at this summary statement. Therefore... And as you are so well taught, you're wondering and reminding yourselves of why that is there. And we want to do the same today. Let's establish the context before we jump in too far. The context, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has primarily, probably almost exclusively, a Jewish audience in front of him teaching them. As he has been going about preaching the kingdom of heaven being at hand and the necessity of repentance, he now sits himself down on the side of the hill and begins to teach. And you're well familiar with what he begins his sermon with. And he's driving in a direction. He's driving them to consider what is it that it takes to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. For their Jews, then certainly they would have been thinking, well, it must be my blood. I was born a Jew. Therefore, I must be a part of God's kingdom. Or perhaps it's just because of the family that I have been born into. Or maybe it's the keeping of the law. All these things for which they come into the Sermon on the Mount with their preconceptions, their ideas, their thoughts of what it would take to become citizens of the kingdom of God. You can imagine this this situation as it unfolded in Jesus' ministry as he goes about preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as Matthew puts it, and the people 
some of them, probably many of them, saying, yes, but I am. Thinking out of their own preconception and their own ideas and their certain worldview, and so they're sitting on this side of a mountain, hearing from the Master, and as he challenges them about their preconceptions, their own ideas, and their certain worldview. Not unlike us, right? How many of us that have been graced by God to have come into salvation can look back and consider how we thought we could get there? It was through my way. We thought that there would be the Ability for God to forgive our sin based on what I have accomplished. Or perhaps it was because of a certain religion that I would follow. Or perhaps it would be through the efforts of my family. All these preconceptions similar to the preconceptions of the original audience as they sat there and Jesus began to unfold his message. And so Jesus was challenging their thinking of what righteousness is. And he touched in the immediate context on six areas of which they had been taught that made them think that which they had been taught was the path to righteousness. It's an interesting idea, is it not? We all fall into this where we will listen to certain teachers, we will listen to certain ideas, certain philosophers, and come away with the idea that that must be what I need to do. For instance, they would have said, just avoid murder, adultery, divorce for no reason, false vows. Avoid being overly reactive when you're wronged and make sure you love those that you consider your neighbors. Well, I could do that. Certainly these are ideas that seem reasonable and these are the things they have been taught and Jesus challenges each of those six. It's a sampling. It's not a complete list. It is an idea for us to understand there's man's way and there's God's way and Jesus is going to present the Lord's way. Take yourself back to verse 21 just to remind ourselves of these. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. That was the idea. Just don't murder. Jesus says, verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The first challenge of which they had been taught was just that. You've been taught well, wait a minute, that's coming out of the Old Testament, is it not? Is that not part of God's law? Yes, it is, but did you notice the interpretation? They took it to a place where man could try to achieve righteousness. It's been taken from its original intent and idea, and Jesus is challenging his audience to say, you can't be angry. It's not that you just can't murder. But if you are angry with your brother, you'll be guilty. And so he goes in verse 27 to our second. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you, you will not come, excuse me, verse 27, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just the outward action. Where is your heart? Where is your intent? Where is your mind? Verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. God hates divorce, yes, but make sure you just send her away with a certificate. Don't defraud her. Allow her that freedom. Send her away with a certificate. Everything will be fine. No, no, it won't. Verse 32, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Make sure you fulfill that vow. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Why? Why do you even need to make an oath? Is your yes not yes? Speak the truth. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. You don't retaliate just as it was done to you. For that's man's way of achieving righteousness. But no, no, that that is not what you do. Instead, you resist. You don't bother with this. Instead, give. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Jesus has taken his listeners and he's taking them through six key aspects of what they have been taught as a means of righteousness and challenging them on each and every one. You've missed the point. You've somehow decided that you can wiggle your way around what it means to be righteous and define it in your own terms so that you can achieve it. They defined righteousness in a way that pleased them. They established rules and regulations so that they could achieve righteousness and enjoy citizenship, or so they thought. And they got it all wrong. It's not about man's laws. It's not about man's interpretations of the law. It's not about our own ideas. As he said in chapter 5, verse 20, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes, the Pharisees, have taught you these things. And they have achieved a certain self-righteousness through what they have taught and you have chosen to follow. Your righteousness must exceed that of those who have taught you. And you, like I, would imagine that an original audience thinking, what? Surpass that? Be better than the ones who have taught me. Fulfill all that they haven't even managed. How? How can I? How can there be 
uh, you mean I'm not going to enter because of my bloodline? You mean I won't be able to achieve righteousness through what I have interpreted, through what I have done? No, says Christ. None of your self-righteous effort will do. You want to try to make it by your rules and efforts? Then be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. And they thought they were in. They thought they would be enjoying all the rights of citizenship. And the Lord says, forget the benefits. Forget the rights. You aren't even a citizen. So what are those rights? What are the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? If you'd like a point, it's the rights of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's just name a few, shall we? Think of this. One of the rights of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, one that got all of these, which God declares, how about peace with God? Peace with a holy God, one who is thrice holy, the one who is completely separate from sin, who cannot look upon sin, who would not be able to tolerate sin in his presence. It's possible to have peace with him? Yes, Romans 5.1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing idea. What an astounding statement. What, what could you imagine to be able to have peace with God? You and I think of those who would trample underfoot the righteousness of God. They would have nothing to do with trying to hear the truth of God's word. And we proclaim to them, you can have peace with God. True, genuine peace. Why do I need peace with God? Is he not at peace with me? Does he not love me? No, friend. His enmity, his wrath is poured out upon you lest you repent. He loves his creation, yes. But because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, he cannot bear to set aside any of his character. And so his justice must be served. And it has been. Peace with God. Or how about being declared a child of God? Those who are completely separate, unable to come into the presence of God, being declared a child of God. What does he say in John 1.12 as John is baptizing in the second day that Jesus is near? And as he approaches, we hear the words in John 1.12, excuse me, of as many have received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And not just children, but friends. John 15.15, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I called you Friends, friend of God, a child of his, yes, 
Galatians 4, 7, Paul declares it. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. Peace with God. A child of God. An heir. Not just a slave, but a full granted son of God. How about eternal life? Is eternal life a benefit? Does anybody desire to have eternal life? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 5:24. John 6:47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Or John 17:3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life doesn't end at the moment of your death. The question being, where will you be? Will you be in the presence of God forever? Will you continue on in the eternal life that he granted during this life and restoring your soul to himself? This is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God. First John 5, 11 and 12. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. And we think back to our context of which we started. And there is Jesus, the Son of God, preaching to people who think They have an end to the kingdom of heaven. There he is in their midst. The one who would be the means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. What other benefits would there be? How about God within you? John 14, 16, 17. I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be what? In you. God dwelling in man. Unrighteous, unholy, separate from God, able to come to a place of being God's friend to the degree that God dwells within What privilege? What could we desire? (laughs) What a wondrous God. How about this? All spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. All these benefits, all these rights granted to the children of the kingdom of heaven by the grace and the wonder and the love of our God. What were those listening thinking? What were they anticipating? What did they think was going to be provided for them? Oh, perhaps we'll be delivered from Rome. Perhaps we will enjoy this kingdom of heaven upon earth today and we will be the victors. Perhaps it was the restoration of a greater temple. Christ says to enjoy those actual benefits and the real rights You have to meet the qualification. 
You need to fulfill the responsibility. What's that? Well, it shouldn't have been a mystery to them, right? All the way back in Leviticus. You may want to go there with me. Leviticus chapter 11. This is no mystery to the children of Israel if they have considered, if they have been hearing. It is not a terrible mystery as to how does this come about. As the law of clean and unclean purification is being established and described and the whole process of being set apart. In verse 44 of Leviticus 11, we read this. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Get yourselves set. And be what? Holy, for I am holy. You shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's just described how they can set themselves aside, apart. They can consecrate themselves to be holy vessels unto the Lord's use. And so the command is to do so. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And if he has established a means by which they were to do that, they are to do that. And it's not enough that he would just provide it for them this one time, but in uh, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 20, verse 7, verse 26, chapter 21, verses 6 through 8, what do we find? You are to be holy, just like your God. So, the children of Israel sitting there on the side of a mount, hearing the Son of God who has been roaming about, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is time to repent. They should have known. This is about holiness. This is about setting ourselves apart, about being consecrated unto the Lord that we might be holy. Oh yeah, they made holiness in their own image. They had played with the word of God. They had decided that, oh yeah, well, all you really said was that I can't murder. Leave aside the heart. Forget about that. They had come to teach a way of attaining holiness. Don't murder. Oh, but don't worry about your heart of hatred. Don't commit adultery. But you don't need to worry about your heart of lust. Don't divorce with a certificate, without a certificate. But you don't really need to worry about your heart of selfishness. Don't swear falsely. But you don't really need to worry about your heart of deception. Don't hate your neighbor. Don't worry about your heart of hatred toward people. It's okay if you redefine who your neighbor is, isn't it? See, they had done what? Created righteousness in their own eyes. Jesus challenges it all. Jesus says no. It's not about your holiness in your own eyes. It's about perfection. Chapter 5, verse 48. You are to be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. You want these benefits? You want to be able to enjoy all that the Lord has for you? You must be a citizen. I want to be a citizen. Uh, I think I can get there. No, Jesus says. You're not going to get there by what you think you can do. So what is the responsibility then? What is it that we must do? What is it that is necessary? Be perfect. How can I do that? It's all over. Forget it. I can't manipulate the word anymore to make it submit to myself and my ideas. Submit to God's declaration. Submit to what He has said is the only means of being declared perfect and holy and righteous. How can that be? Well, you remember in the discussion in Matthew 19, Jesus is taking those that would hear to an illustration. It's easier for a camel to go through the I have a needle. See, with man, these things are impossible. But with God, Matthew 19, 26, all things are possible. So how is it that one can enjoy all the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? It's by being declared righteous. It has to be by declaration. It has to be by the one who is righteous freely declaring someone else, an individual, righteous before Him. True holiness, real perfection can only come by declaration. There's no holiness in us. There's no means of perfection within us. It is not about me doing enough good to outweigh the bad. It's not about my heart's desire to try and get there. About God's declaration. Now I come to that context in John, in which John was seeing Christ come the second day in verse 29. Seeing him coming declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What we all know, what we were all taught at such a young age. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? That whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Paul would say it in that statement we read. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. How? By this one, this one who came, who gave, the one who would take away the sins of the world. I know it's all a reminder for most of us, but it's the, the greatest reminder we can have. The position that a person who is completely unholy, unjust, to be able to be declared just, holy, and perfect before their Creator through the blood of Christ. 
Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, again, by way of reminder for us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. It's all unfurled. It's all unwrapped for you. All there being justified by faith because of the grace of Christ who would give himself for you and for me. Or as Paul would say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember, Paul counted his efforts as rubbish, right? Philippians chapter 3. And he says in verse 9, I count them as rubbish so that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What a joy and a privilege is ours through the love of our God, expressed through the sacrifice of Christ, so that that which is all my responsibility has been placed on the one who is perfect, who is holy, and is complete and separate, completely taking my sin that I may not have to. And I get to be a child of God, a recipient of all of these benefits, a few of which we considered. We are to be declared perfect by God himself. We are to be holy. We must be declared such. Declared holy as God views us through the perfect sacrifice of Christ. These are the responsibilities. You want the rights of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as God has declared them? Meet the responsibility. I can't. Now you got it. You can't. But God in his wondrous grace has made it his mission to call a people to himself to provide the only means by which it would satisfy his justice, that he might be just and the justifier, so that we might be able to be declared children of God. Hmm. If you are, then you enjoy those rights of citizenship, eternal life, peace with God, all spiritual blessings, God dwelling within, an ability to please God. Jesus was going everywhere, preaching, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One is not fit for citizenship in God's kingdom by their own effort, their own ideas, their own pursuits. Citizenship is declared for all those chosen by God. The entry is by repentance. 
And the repentance happens because the elect are made to realize there is no chance within themselves. How gracious of our God. There's no ability to be holy in me. All I do is bow. I bow the knee in faith and repentance, begging God for forgiveness. And this He does by His grace through His love and grants me all the rights that He has declared and works in us to ever grow us into the image of the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Joseph Hart got it right. The original version of Come Ye Sinners. Listen to these words again. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Come, you needy. Come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Without money. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come, you weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, he'll never come at all. Not the righteous. No, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is that you feel your need of him. And get this. This feel of a need for God, He gives you. Yeah, He gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Lo, the incarnate Word ascended, pleads the merit of His blood. Venture on Him, venture fully, and let no trust intrude. None but Jesus. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. Father, thank you that you have made a way to be declared righteous in your sight. You've made it possible to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that audience sitting on the side of a hill listening listening to our God incarnate, coming with their preconceptions, coming with their worldview, coming with their ideas, are no different than us. We come thinking that we can make a way. And thank you that so many of us in this room have been able to come to realize by your grace, by your goodness, by your prompting and doing, there is nothing in me but it's all of grace by your good and loving hand. And pray, Father, for any who may not have bowed that knee, that today would be the day that they might realize 
that you might be at work in them, that you might be giving them that desire for yourself and prompt them to respond. We ask that that would be today. And know that in your perfect will, you carry out your perfect plan in each and every person's life. And all works together to glorify the greatness of who you are. So we say thank you. We look forward to being reminded of more of your great care and love for us and the great truths that you have given to us. And thank you for this dear congregation and their desire to honor you through many troubled waters and the opportunities and the challenges that you have given, yet they remain faithful. We thank you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen.